You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome, everybody. You have reached FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And the countdown is uh, its almost over. Two days to opening day. Very, very close. Uh, spring training winding up. In fact, now we're at that weird point of spring training where it feels like it's kind of come full circle. And you've got some teams uh, facing each other's major league squads. But then you've got other teams playing their minor league affiliates and uh, you know, kind of semi-exhibition exhibitions, I guess you could say. So uh, it's, it's shutting down, and uh, teams are going to be heading back, for the most part, north. I guess a few maybe in Arizona, you know, heading west, but you get the idea. Anyway, joining me today to talk about uh, everything that is still going on in spring training, but also looking ahead to your week one, which is, again, just two days away, is Jessica Kleinschmidt from FanRag Sports and many, many other online destinations. Jessica, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. How was Tout Wars? Yeah, Tout Wars was uh, great, great fun as it is uh, every year. And this year, you know, I, I had the, uh, you know, the privilege of actually doing this show from there and, and also you know, awesome. popping in on, on some other shows too. And uh, yeah, so it, it really was awesome. It just kind of added to the great experience. And anybody who listened to any of the programming on Fantasy Sports Radio that was live uh, there from Tout Wars, uh, you, I'm sure you got the sense, and we even talked about it, that it's, it's just it's a big reunion every year. It's people, for the most part, you don't see except for that one weekend. Mm-hmm. So that alone makes it fun. But then, of course, there's, you know, the, the, the competition itself. Right. Auctions. Uh, So, yeah, it was a great time, Jessica. So, uh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. And, you know, the only, fortunately, it's it's one of the later auctions slash drafts. Uh, certainly in my, uh, in my fantasy season, I had Nando DeFino on the show yesterday. He talked about how he still Mm -hmm. had, I think at that point, four more left. One was last night. So I've only got one more and it's tonight. Uh, but that oh, yeah. you know that one's pretty close to the the finish line for me, so it's good because you 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 build all this anticipation to put your team together, have a better team than you had the year before, and then you only have to wait one week to actually see those players in action. So, right, Jess, how, uh, where are you at with your uh, drafts and such? Are you done? You got anything <laughs> left over the last couple yeah. of days here? I'm beyond done. I'm a little burnt out from doing so many drafts. I will because, like, the first draft I did, I think, was like mid football season. It feels like, and so that that I actually kind of like doing those because you can kind of take like a couple months break and then go back and then go back once again, like right before opening day because all the injuries and who's starting and all of that. So I kind of like that aspect, um, but now I'm kind of just getting the questions like all these people waited until this weekend, which is, which I feel is smart with all these, you know, um, starter situations and injuries and, and rookies and, and all of that. So I'm getting a lot of the questions like, Hey, help me out. You know, like the people that you haven't heard from in a year, all of a sudden want your, want your help and your attention. Mm-hmm. It's like, where were you? I didn't get a Christmas card from you, but no, you want my <laughs> fantasy advice. So that's what I'm dealing with right now. But you know, 
It's fine. It is what it is. Just a lot of questions. And this is like the most, a lot of anxiety going into this weekend, just because I really don't want to upset anyone. And obviously I'm also starting DFS next week. So there's just a lot, a lot going on in my little bubble. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, if you did a bunch of early drafts, you maybe had a little lull and now, now the reality is setting in. It's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been a crazy week for me too. So I, I, I hear that and uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, we'll both get uh, a lot of a lot more questions over the next couple of days, and and frankly, I welcome it. That's it's what we're here for. So uh, right, it, it, it certainly beats crickets, right? <laughs> it does. It does. That's very true. Like I was, I almost sometimes forget. Like oh yeah, that's kind of what I do. Like all of a sudden, I'm getting all these questions, and I'm actually just really thankful that a lot of people are still playing season long fantasy baseball and still involved. So that makes me happy. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I know that you yeah. uh, DFS is, is in your wheelhouse and I actually have a DFS or a couple of DFS related questions uh, in our Ooh. news and notes. So uh, pretty, you know, so I'm glad to have you on. I'm glad to have you on, too, because one of the bigger news items uh, in the past 24 hours or so relates to a team I know that, you know, a lot about. And that is the mm-hmm. Oakland Athletics. And I forced myself to say that because to me, they're always just the A's. But uh, according to the San Francisco Chronicle, that there has been no decision yet about the closer situation. Bob Melvin is going to talk to several candidates and that mm-hmm. he may go with two closers and not just one. So that's that's pretty cryptic. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, when, when, it, when it comes to this scenario, though, like it was weird, like during the offseason, they really wanted to beef up their bullpen. And there's too much beef now. That's kind of what happened. It's like, well, now I have a lot to deal with. It's like when you get a cheeseburger and you don't realize how big it's actually going to be. I think this is what the ultimate bullpen situation happens. But when it comes to the A's, and it's always kind of great, but I just worry about, like, I don't want them to rush to the starters or anything like that because we do have a, the A's do have a solid bullpen. But it's, mm-hmm. it's just going to be interesting, and there's big names. Obviously, I love Doolittle and Casilla and then um, Madsen and Axford. Like, um, these guys are definitely guys that can do it, but there's also Dahl and Liam Hendricks. So there's all kinds of stuff because people were used to, you know, they mentally prepared for a setup role. And then they wanted to become closers. So there's more questions and answers, but it's not, I don't think it's anything that Melvin can't handle. No, well, he can handle it. And, and you know, he's shown himself to be, you know, flexible uh, over the years with platoon situations and mixing and max matching in the ninth inning. So, uh, you know, I have no doubt that he'll make the most out of the squad. But from a fantasy mm-hmm. perspective, obviously, he, he could be a frustrating manager. And oh, yeah. the way, the, Jess, the way you set that up actually really plays perfectly into the angle I want to take into this because you mentioned okay. Doolittle, uh, Doolittle and Axford, uh, you know, a couple guys with closing experience, uh, Casilla and, and Madsen. So all, you know, uh, players that have had a significant closing experience, but we don't know who's in that mix. I mean, is it literally everybody in the bullpen is, is being consulted about this or is it down to three relievers, four relievers, right. but the guys you threw out at the end, were Dull and Hendricks. And mm-hmm. to me, they they should be right up there. I, I like them better than Casilla. To be, you know, Casilla is somebody that I, I kind of bash on every spring because he's poised for a starting, or rather a closing role, you know, pretty much every year, or at least he's in the mix. And he's, he's an okay reliever, but he's just not somebody that stands out to me as this guy should close out games other than the fact that he's just done it a lot. So, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure why Doolittle maybe uh, isn't just the, the, the clear guy to take the role. And if it's not him, I, you know, I do like Dahl and, and Hendricks. So 
that's my two cents. But uh, well, what are, what would your preference be, and how do you think this will actually play out? I I mean I think Doolittle is just like the safer play. I I honestly like if I ever had a reliever closer scenario and he was the guy that I went to. From a manager uh, perspective, I would never worry. I think Doolittle could always get the job done, um, but he's not, you know, Superman. He ne- does need somebody to kind of give him like that attaboy, the backup. So the thing that I that I liked about um, their bullpen situation is, don't get me wrong. Um, I don't really know how to say this in the nicest way. Like I'm not super confident in that starting rotation when it comes to the A's, comma, but if you do have to go to your bullpen early type of scenario, that's kind of a good case scenario there, and I think that. This, that's kind of what the scenario is going to end up being quite a bit. Um, so you can go to the bully, bullpen early, um, depending on obviously the bats that you're going up against. And I think that's the mentality that they're taking with it from a lot of the reports that I've seen. And I think Melvin, like I mentioned, during the offseason, one of their number one goals was to get that bullpen um, together. And obviously they have huge names with that bullpen behind Sean Doolittle. And I'm not taking that away from Kassir or anything like that, but Dull and Hendricks are names that people weren't really talking about. But then when you really look at them and look, look at the numbers it's definitely going to be something to to watch and you know obviously with Sonny Gray not being the opening day starter we have to look at Graveman all these different types of scenarios if we're kind of anticipating early going to the bullpen that may not be a bad thing yeah well and yeah with Sonny Gray out it reminds me a lot of the it's sort of the AL answer to the Marlins situation where you don't have any standout starter but a really deep bullpen and you worry that like Graveman for example somebody who I think could be very efficient and could go deep into games, mm-hmm. but Melvin just may be tempted to to use his bullpen a lot and, and pull all these guys yeah. on the early side uh, because he can. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But, uh, all right, let's narrow it down just before we move on because lots of other stuff to cover here. But if there's one reliever in the bullpen to speculate on for saves, who do you think it should be? Do little. Okay. Two for two. I agree yeah. with you. I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I know uh, I know I had hesitation in that, but I think I think the only reason why I had hesitation is like I kind of talked myself out of it, realizing, dang, there's a lot of good bullpen guys. But I think I'm going to go towards towards Doolittle, not just because of his experience, but he's you know going a more slow approach towards the off season. I think he, his, his mentality is a little bit better, and I think he's just going to really bring it this season. Yeah, and that's key because if there's a concern with him, it is is it is health. So, but uh, yeah. I think from the skills perspective, he should be the guy. Uh, right. But there is other bullpen news, and we'll just hit this one really quickly because I talked about it on yesterday's show at, at great length. But just to get your your uh, your take on it, Jess, the Nationals' Dusty Baker finally made the decision to go with Blake Trainin, who I think was probably third on most people's list in terms of who they thought they would see and maybe who they even wanted to see as the Nationals' closer. Would you feel confident having Trainin as your fantasy closer? Um, I would. Um, the only thing that I get concerned with is um, I can't remember what his specialty pitch was, but he had a, a more of a, a higher ERA and that ground ball percentage was a little funky. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, I really I, I actually have quite a bit of um, of confidence in him. Um, but at the same time, like it's he's going to close. So it's just kind of one of those scenarios. I haven't really studied him that well, um, mm-hmm. but I do know if as time goes on, if he was on your team, he could be some really good trade bait, which I kind of, which kind of piqued my interest. So that's kind of where my mentality is on him. Okay. Yeah. Well, probably what you were thinking of, he's, he's got a good slider. And so yes, I think yeah, that yeah. gives him some, some good strikeout potential that we haven't really seen fully realized yet, but I like him. And yeah, you know, I talked about it at great length yesterday, so I don't need to uh, 
reiterate all of that. But let's uh, stick with the Nationals here because there's some other news of potential impact. Anthony Rendon uh, has not played since Monday. He has a calf contusion. And Dusty Baker will not commit to him being ready for opening day. And when I say not being ready, I mean Rendon. I'm sure Dusty Baker will be yeah. ready. Uh, maybe. So, I'm sure he'll show up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would you start – I don't know if you've got Rendon on any of your rosters, but if you did, uh, would you start him for week one? As of right now? I don't know. Like, like looking at Baker's comments, I'm like, dude, is he starting or not? Like, I've never seen – like, it's just so confusing. Like, he's like, he'll be so-so. It's like, what does that mean? And then he'll say, like, oh, no, no, no. Man, I don't know. Like, he might be ready. Not so much. Like, like I said, he's doing so-so. And I'm sitting there like, okay, what does that mean, Dusty Baker? Like, give me a better answer. So, if he was on my roster – I mean, that's a huge, I mean, I'd have to wait to the very last minute, but um, with all of these um, kinds of scenarios, it's, it's difficult for me. But looking at the quotes from Baker, I have no idea. He's not really committing to if he's yeah. going to start or not. Fortunately, yeah, we don't have to decide right now. So that's kind of a not even a good hypothetical question. But yeah, we, do, we may have to wait this out to the last moment before lineups lock. But if I did have to decide right now, I, I would pass because that, uh, you know, that lack of, of commitment doesn't to me sound sound promising and uh also jason worth's been battling a sore toe and uh so that worries me a bit for week one as well uh, he's somebody i would definitely want to start in five outfielder leagues and maybe even some some three outfielder leagues so those are both situations to watch as well going into monday and um just trying to decide if we can squeeze one more thing in here uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna put this off to the next segment, Jess, because there's some really meaty news stories. Uh, we've just okay. really begun to kind of, uh, you know, get the the tip of the iceberg here. And if we start any one of them, we're gonna go over break. But it is time for break. So when we come back, we're gonna talk about all kinds of really interesting news items. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and joining me today also from FanRag is Jessica Kleinschmidt. And uh, this is an episode so packed with late spring training news that we're taking two segments to cover, so just our usual one. That's, that's the value that you get from this show. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, well, I want to kick this segment off with something from uh, that appeared in uh, FanRag uh, from John Heyman in his Inside Baseball column. And this one really caught my eye. And again, this is kind of a nice kind of uh, capstone piece for spring training. Uh, among his many items, uh, uh, John Heyman wrote that there's a, a rival executive who thinks that the Cubs should put Ian Happ in left field and try to trade Kyle Schwarber uh, probably to an AL team. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's interesting on, on a couple of levels. And one is that, uh, that that rival executive, clearly a vote of no confidence for Schwarber's ability to play left field well enough, but also a big vote of confidence for Ian Happ, who uh, right now has got a nice 404 batting average in spring training with five home runs. And, uh, I, you know, now this is just one executive's opinion, so it may not mean anything, but... Uh, does this seem like something that could happen to you? Not to I mean, the, the, <laughs> I could probably play for the AL. I could suck it up. But no, when it comes to Schwarber, like I definitely, I could see him playing in the AL in his longevity years. Like he's probably going to retire at the AL team. Like that's what it kind of 
pictured him. We've seen him play the outfield, no offense, but I think I had better range than him in most plays. So it's definitely something that I've been thinking of. But when, when I haven't seen you play. I should have said, ouch, Jess. Right, so, so you was, don't know. You really don't know. That is true. That is true. So um, I think – and then actually Ryan Davis from FanRag was talking about um, Ian Happ and, and when it, and it was basically about when the time comes, they're going to find somewhere to put him. But I think that's where the question is. Now I get it. It's a rival exec kind of thing. I don't know if that was like a scenario where he was just like jealous or, you know, what the scenario was, but I mean, I could see that. Right. But I honestly, the moment I kind of saw Schwarber really play, I just mentally pictured him eventually ending up on an AL team with his body type, the way that mm-hmm. we know that he can, he can obviously he's great offensively and he's not going to be a guy that you're expecting to make diving plays in the outfield or, or anything like that. So I can definitely see that happening, but I don't think the Cubs are going to be willing to give up pretty much anyone, especially Schwarber, who became kind of a golden boy, considering he barely played any of last season. So it's definitely something to think of in that aspect. But, I mean, AL team, sure, eventually, but right now, like that's a, that's a lot because Hap, you know, has pretty much proved himself, you know. Um, so it's definitely something to think about. But that's that's crazy. It's just weird to think about. Uh, okay, a lot, yeah, okay. I, I wanted the validation, just because I, I think this is yeah. crazy. I think we got to pump the brakes yeah. on Ian Hap. Uh, he's had a nice spring, but we've talked all month long about how sometimes a nice spring means something, and a lot of times it really doesn't. And he, I'd like to see Ian Happ put up some good numbers. I'd like to see him put up some good numbers in double-A, much less triple-A. Uh, because his numbers in double-A were fine. I shouldn't say they weren't good. Mm-hmm. But not the sort of thing where you say, this guy's got to be fast-tracked, and, and there's got to be some way to clear an opening for him on a ridiculously deep roster because he's just that good. I think, he, you know, I think he's a, a fine prospect. I think he does need more time in the minors. I'd like to see him dominate more at double-A and triple-A. And, and there's no reason to rush him. You let let the right. Schwarber thing play out. Look, if he's a disaster in left field, and and Hap does well, then you know then you can try to force the issue. But it just to me it seems extremely premature. And so from a fantasy perspective, we're going to talk about guys that we stash, particularly prospects. Ian Hap is not all that high on my list in terms of prospects to mm-hmm. stash, and I'm certainly not panicking over Schwarber uh, at this point. Well, let's uh, let's stay in the central. Uh, because the Cardinals uh, are working on, in fact, they're close to finalizing an extension for Yadier Molina. This has been in the news for months that they've been working on this. According to Ken Rosenthal, the final deal is going to be a three-year deal with a total somewhere in between 55 and $65 million. So another three years of Yadier Molina. Now, from a fantasy perspective, I think the story here, not really related to the extension per se, but it gives us an excuse to talk about it, is that Molina is just 12th. So he's barely hanging on as a number one catcher in fantasy circles Mm -hmm. uh, in ADP. And this is coming off of a season where he ranked fifth in roto value among catchers. So Mm -hmm. you think Molina is going to be an enormous value for the people who actually uh, hold out and get him this year? I mean, yes and no. I feel like he's just, he's Yadier Molina, so he has that name. Not to mention, he's like the, you know, to me, I, I kind of like Wellington Castillo a little bit more. And I think that just has to do with the fact where hopefully people haven't been paying attention to a lot of my podcasts because I've been so high on Wellington Castillo, so they've been staying away from him in some of my leagues. But when it comes to Molina, I feel like it's just like, okay, well, he's like one of the better, you know, offensive catchers. But I think Wellington Castillo is kind of the same thing. Um, but when it comes to Castillo, I think we have to kind of watch for how he performs at Camden this time around. But when it comes mm-hmm. to Molina, I mean, he's a great catcher, don't get me wrong, but 
and, and great offensively. But I think as time goes on, great. I'm glad he's got the space extension. I know he wants to probably retire with the, with the Cardinals. But at the same time, from a fantasy perspective, it's like I think it's kind of like he's been there, done that. He was the sexy pick a few years now when it comes to the catcher position. I think now it's kind of wearing off. Yeah, I you know I look. I don't have Molina ranked uh, much higher than twelfth. So I'm a, if it's a problem, I'm a part of the problem. But and looking back at this, I you know I I think a lot of us are down on Molina because of the age, because of the lack of power. Mm-hmm. And you you expressed a preference for Castillo. I prefer Castillo. And Castillo, you know, as I feel like we've talked about all spring long, has a profile that's very common at catcher, uh, power hitter mm-hmm. catcher that won't necessarily hit for a high average. Uh, but there's lots of those, and, and we love the home runs. Just like with pitchers, we love the strikeouts. But uh, I think that 2015, I, f- I think we're punishing Molina a bit for a down 2015, and that really sticks out as an outlier. And he may be a guy who still can bang out 300 average seasons uh, at, at this stage of his career he can, and stay healthy and be a compiler of counting stats. And it's, you know that, that's very underrated at any position. So I don't mm-hmm. know that I'm you know necessarily that I need to apologize to him for not drafting him in any leagues or ranking him <laughs> higher, but I, I do think that you know maybe I have run the risk of of um, you know of overlooking Molina and that he's maybe not as going to be as good as he was last year, but better better than twelfth I think. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I agree and. Yeah. yeah, and his his numbers definitely improved in 2016. There were a little bit of a of a bounce back scenario between his um, his average and his his flash line was really good. His, his power certainly increased, but I think there was, I just still want to see him like one more go at it once again. I, I don't know why there's just something holding me back from him, and it could be a number of things. But in this case, it's really difficult for me to go all in on him. Yeah, no, like I said, me too. You know, the age is a factor. The lack of power, you know, and you said there was more power last year, but for Molina at this point, I think uh, 10 home runs is an optimistic projection. And, that, mm-hmm. and that's, he's just not going to keep pace with Brian McCann and uh, Matt Wieters and, and Beef Castillo and, and, you know, players of that of that caliber in terms of power. But I think in terms of what he could do is with scoring runs and hitting for average, uh, you know, I, th- I think we're underrating that with, with him. Um, yeah. Let's uh, take a look at the Tigers' outfield situation. J.D. Martinez, this is not its news, but it's not you know impactful news per se. He's now right. officially on the DL. That was just something we were, we were expecting with J.D. Martinez. But there's a couple of different angles here, and one is how much of a discount Martinez should take. Now, you asked me about Tout Wars last segment and the Tout Wars mixed auction that I was in. Fred Zinke, who was on the show yesterday, he got him for $6, uh, which I thought was fantastic mm-hmm. value. Right. Uh, but then there's the, the flip side of it, that you've got some relative fantasy no-names that are going to be manning the outfield. There was already a big gap in center field with the trade of Cameron Mabin, and now there's going to be a hole in, in right field for, uh, for several weeks. So uh, we'll get to that cast of characters in a minute, but... Um, how much of a discount do you think Martinez deserves? And maybe that's a, a late question at this point. You know, there's not a lot of people you know, necessarily drafting still, but um, but even just in terms of valuing him, if you want to try, but you know, buy low on him or whatever. Uh, like, are you really concerned about JD Martinez, or do you think when he comes back, he's going to be the the hitter he was last year? I don't think that that's 
a smart mentality to have and not because of this particular injury. I was mentally prepared for him to not start opening day and I think everybody else was. But my, my thing is that he just can't finish a season. You know, in, in, in 2015, he played 158 games, which is okay. But then you compare it to every other season that he's played, and that's just that's a ridiculous number because the second most he's played is 123 games the, the prior season. So for me, it's difficult for me to want to stash him away on one of my lineups with or without this injury just because I, I can't, he can't play a full season. And, and that's kind of where my mentality is at. Um, he definitely, you know, blew up a little bit as far as um, his power goes, 22 bombs last, last um, season. And I know a lot of people love his power and all of that. Um, and his power matched what he did in 2015. So that was definitely something that I like to pay attention to. And then, um, his, his, you know, everything else. So when it comes to this injury, it didn't really change my mind on him. I couldn't, I couldn't really get behind him. Um, I could see him, you know, taking him uh, as a, like a tiebreaker type of scenario. Obviously, he's a, he's a big name. He's got a big bat. When it comes down to it, he's not a guy that I'm, I was super pumped on, um, especially because when it comes to his reputation, he just can't finish out a, a full season. Yeah, I, I have worries about more than just the playing time. I, the Liz Frank injury just evokes two words for me, and those words are Alan Craig, and he just was mm-hmm. never the same after his Liz Frank injury, but... Uh, you know, who knows how much of that was related to the, the injury and how much could could have been other factors we don't even know about. So uh, I'm, I am I went from being extremely excited about J.D. Martinez this season to really not wanting to have much to do with them. But I, I'm rooting for mm-hmm. him, Jess, and I hope you are correct. Uh, but there's, you know, like I said, other players involved here, and it looks like the smoke is cleared. And we know what the Tigers outfield situa- situation is going to look like, and of course there's going to be Justin Upton in left field, but... Center field, which has been open, looks like that's going to go to Jacoby Jones. And Tyler Collins, who had been Mm -hmm. in that mix, will now fill in in right field as part of the uh, platoon with Mikey Matuk. And with the two right fielders, I I feel like this is right up your alley because these both strike me as guys who are going to be really good on certain days, maybe certain weeks because of their splits. So from a forget Mm -hmm. for now, a, a, a yearly or weekly perspective. From DFS perspective, do you think either Collins or, or uh, Matuk will be uh, intriguing DFS options when you know they're facing? Um, yeah, yeah, and and I think it's Tyler Collins definitely intrigues me just because of of the fact that. I watched him from a DFS perspective, from like the minor aspect. Um, and mm-hmm. the thing I liked about him was he kind of, I guess you could say he's like the, not, I don't, don't want to say utility player, but I don't want to not say utility player because he's kind of like a smorgasbord. He's really got a little bit of everything. And the thing that I like about him is if you need him to get on, on base, he'll get on base. He can swipe some bags for me, for you. Not exactly going to be like a huge, you know, power hitter um, coming from AAA, um, kind of that scenario. So it's really difficult for me to get all in on him from a season long perspective from a DFS play absolutely if you sense any sort of um I and you know DFS guys hate saying the term confidence but if you see he's on a roll definitely pay attention to that because I definitely like that aspect he is athletic which I definitely love so from that aspect I definitely like um Collins and then Jacoby Jones is more of a DFS kind of play for me too um because if you look at him from an overall perspective like the power obviously isn't there um and but if you're if you're looking at Jacoby Jones and you look at him from like what his body type looks like you're kind of not really expecting that so that's hmm. definitely something to pay attention to so um but I definitely like Tyler Collins from a DFS perspective because like I mentioned you kind of get a little bit of everything with him 
Yeah, and I think the overall numbers, you know, for him are not going to be that great. But um, he does have nice power against righties. And I don't think he's going to mm-hmm. face a lot of lefties. So, uh, and I think Mato could have some similar appeal versus uh, versus lefties as well. So, uh, well, like I said, a lot of news today. Uh, but we're going to start uh, looking ahead now. And when we come back from break, we're going to talk about some of the players who have really changed our minds with how they played this spring. So, uh, stick around. Should be good. Should be some good stuff there. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melgier, your host for the hour. And my guest for today is Justin Feinschmidt from Fan Rag Sports. And as promised before the break, we're each going to talk about some players who have um, they've opened our eyes this spring. And we're going to take a, you know, about a 12-minute break from telling you not to pay attention to spring stats uh, because there are a handful <laughs> of players uh, that, uh, that have impressed each of us. And I also just want to take a moment to uh, – uh, Drawing our attention to something uh, that just went up on FanRag today from our colleague Greg Jewett, who will be on the show on Sunday opening day. In fact, right before first pitch. That's pretty exciting. We could talk to Greg at that point about this column. But uh, he has uh, highlighted half a dozen starting pitchers who have had meaningful springs and and what that means. Uh, One of the ones he's got here is Patrick Corbin, who's one of my favorites, Uh, got him in several drafts but he was a target of mine even before the spring so this is really for me more confirmation bias than anything oh, good. <laughs> yeah good. so uh you know i'll let greg talk about his his uh pitchers and again we don't necessarily have to just stick to pitchers but um you know players whose spring performances have meant something to us for one reason or another so jess uh who uh who has stood out to you well, this guy didn't really stand out to me, but it's more or less like it made me think. And he was actually brought up in a chat, a fantasy sports chat recently, and it's Zach Branke. And the reason why is because obviously I'm, I have this obsession with the Diamondbacks over the last couple of years, and um, he's been struggling with his velocity. And I know people are like, well, you know, they're not going to be totally exuding themselves um, when it comes to spring training. If you look at a lot of the guys, they're not necessarily doing that, especially with Granky, It's not like he had a battle to win or anything like that. Um, so m- the thing that I was looking at, and if you look from a DFS perspective, he's super, super cheap during opening day. So that's why he kind of piqued my interest. And I wasn't sure, you know, he's going to be playing at Chase Field and his velocity hasn't been working. And I tried to put as many aspects into it as possible. He's obviously pitching in spring training in the same climate he plans on, you know, working with um, opening day. So it's definitely something that I've been uh, paying attention to. If we, it, you know, he knocked a few miles an hour off of his, off of his fastball when um, 88 to 89, that was topping out little over 90. And um, so that was definitely a cause for concern. This close to opening day it's just weird though but the the thing that was kind of a a tiebreaker for me from a dfs perspective was the fact that he was so cheap cheap across you know certain um industries so he definitely made me think about that um going towards the end of the season because the whole situation with the diamondbacks was kind of going towards who was going to get that fifth starter rotation spot and unfortunately Braden shipley is i'm going to be interviewing him on tuesday so that means he's obviously here in reno um so that's going to show that but it was definitely an interesting scenario when it came to Granky. so it's that I know a lot of people were really high on him but that really made me think when it came to his velocity 
Yeah, no, that you know, that's a uh, certainly a good pick. It didn't, you know, as I was making my short list of players, Greinke didn't occur to me because, in a way, this was a, a form of com- a confirmation bias. But he's, you know, the, like I said, the velocity's down. That wasn't necessarily something I was I was expecting. And um, I, you know, I certainly my diminished expectations for Greinke weren't this low. So you know, mm-hmm. that's uh, I, I think that's fair. I th- and I don't think you're alone mm-hmm. in that either. Um, well, I'm going to shift gears on a, to a more positive note and go from pitcher to, to hitter. But in a very positive way, I'm much more in on Greg Bird now than I was a month ago. Oh, yeah. 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 He's just had a, a, a terrific spring. And, you know, one of the things that I do look at, I don't necessarily look at the total result, but both for pitchers and for hitters, you know, I look at the, the strikeout-to-walk ratios. And there had been some buzz that, Bird had really been working on decreasing the strikeouts. He wasn't really a bad uh, hitter in terms of contact in the minors, but you know, uh, two years ago when he came up with the Yankees. He had all that power, but he did strike out too much. And uh, he, you know, really nice strikeout rate this spring, walking a lot, which again is pretty much a, a trademark thing for Bird. And the power was there. So, does it necessarily mean anything? Maybe not. But at least it's not like he came out and. You know, struck out 30 times in 60 plate appearances. You know, I mean, he, he, he right. showed progress in the opportunities that he had to show progress. So uh, I had some doubts about Bird, you know, both coming off of the injury and just in terms of the strikeouts coming into the season. And I had him ranked 30th among first basemen, which sounds terrible. Hmm. But when you look at the neighborhood I had him in, I mean, I you know, I had him right, right. around other, you know, hitters that I – I liked a lot. Um, and by the way, I apologize. Uh, 29th, not 30th. Um, so I have just behind Brad Miller, who uh, last year, uh, I thought that was a legitimate breakout for him. Kendris Morales, mm-hmm. Matt Holiday, Adam Duvall. So right behind oh, those yeah, that's folks. A good, that's a, yeah, that's a good, that's a good. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and ahead of Victor, I would love to be in that. Yeah. I could. Yeah. yeah. Me too. And I had him ahead of Victor Martinez, ahead of Tommy Joseph. And I'm guessing probably there were people. In fact, I'm, I'm looking at the rankings on uh, on fan graphs right now, and there were people that had Joseph ahead of Bird. So you know, I had mm-hmm. you know, I, I felt like I had him in a fair place. But with this spring, I mean, I'm willing to, I'd say, leapfrog him up to 20th. That'll get him ahead of okay. Brandon Belt, Albert Pujols, Mike Napoli, Ooh. Eric Thames. Uh, you know, because I, I have no doubts about the power. And we, you know, right. we, we can look, the at, we can look at the power Yeah, you can look at the minor league numbers and, and not be that impressed. But you know, we saw this with Gary Sanchez. Uh, you know, we've seen it with with Aaron Judge. Um, you know, the, those parks are are not the best for cultivating power. Uh, Yankee Stadium obviously is. <laughs> so, was mm-hmm. the best home run park in in baseball last year. So uh, yeah, no, I think the power's legit, and uh, the, you know he's got a track record in the minors that shows that he can cut back the strikeouts. He's going to get on base, and I think it's it's a good lineup that the Yankees have. You know, I have some doubts about the, the bottom of it, but you know, I think it's it's not a great lineup. But I think it's a good lineup. So yeah, Greg Bird. There I like you go. it. 
You got anything positive for us, or are you just gonna be? I do, I do, I do. Are you just gonna be? Are you just gonna be negative, Nancy? Jess? So I know you mentioned. I know you mentioned the Yankees, and you obviously mentioned Aaron Judge. But the the reason why I wanted to talk about Aaron Judge was, I mean, I was I've been obsessed with him since last season. um, Ever since Um, somebody literally pitched his name because I was doing some segment, and I just kind of sort of really becoming obsessed with his career. But the interesting aspect with him is every time I've talked about him and try to pump him up, there's always a guy or a girl saying well, look at all those strikeouts. And that's very true. Don't get me wrong. I think I was so excited for him to get the starting position. I was trying to talk people off the ledge. And then Girardi was coming out saying like, oh, this is probably going to be the starting, um, you know, lineup on opening day with Hicks in right field. So when that happened, I was like, okay, cool. I looked at his strikeouts. I was like, okay, I could totally see somebody steering away from him. But I really think that um, judge proved himself during spring training. He was just a, a situation where he couldn't help but but follow. And I know um, you're the number one believer saying, you know, I rarely pay attention to spring training numbers, but A, if there's a battle, you want to pay attention. And B, if there's numbers, like people are getting out there, slash on you can't stay away from, you can't ignore some of those numbers. It's almost impossible. And vice versa, like when Trumbo was hitting 182, you're kind of like, hmm, that's a cause for concern, even though we kind of joked about it, but it was definitely something mm-hmm. that people like to take care of, uh, take a look at. So um, I'm really excited to see what Judge does, not only because he won the starter role, but I was mentally preparing for him to be in AAA. So to yeah. know that I don't have to mentally prepare myself for that anymore is actually something that I'm really excited on. So that can go you know, multiple ways. You were expecting to not play him until a few weeks into it, because I thought he was going to get bumped up pretty quickly. Um, so there's that, but then all of a sudden he's going to be there. Um, I am a little nervous to see how he does coming right out the gate, um, just because we have seen how he did right when he got promoted along with you know those baby Bronx Bombers last year. So it'll be interesting, um, but I'm excited to see what he does. And he's definitely a guy that I know a lot of people went for in a bunch of my drafts. Yeah, no, he's he's a good one too. And of course, Judge just by virtue of like you said, winning the job when it it seemed like yeah. it was trending towards him not doing that, uh, you know, just out of any control of his own. You know, he he's certainly a riser uh, in the rankings. You know, just by by virtue of actually winning the job. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I think the performance itself is something uh, you know that we can also be be encouraged by. Uh, well, it's my turn to be a downer. And like I said, I okay. didn't consider Granky for uh, for my list because of having negative uh, expectations. But uh, I would say that, just like I was saying before about J.D. Martinez, where I was so excited about him going into spring training and, and have been so deflated, that's how I feel about Aaron Nola now. I just thought he was mm-hmm. going to be the biggest bargain. All the early rankings had him buried. Um, nobody seemed to take his early part of last season seriously, where he was just flat-out dominant uh, with great control and getting uh, freezing batters a lot uh, and boosting the strikeout rate and just being just being solid in, in every phase of the game. Uh, and I thought, you know, maybe there's some chance he doesn't rebound, but I, I like his chances, and, uh, and, and the price is right. And last couple of drafts, I early uh, my earlier drafts, I was very, uh, I won't say aggressive about getting Nola because I knew I didn't have to be that aggressive, but I, I right. made it a point to get him when I thought I could get him. I didn't even really try the last couple of drafts. And at Tout Wars, uh, I had the money to get him, and I let him go to Ray Flowers for $9. And if I you know, had the optimism I had earlier in spring training, I would have been happy to go 10 on him. But mm-hmm. uh, it's just the spring numbers, it's really been more of the same where he's getting the strikeouts, he's not walking a lot of batters, but he's just getting hit around. And maybe it's, right. maybe it's coincidence. It looks like he's, 
Yeah, well, it looks like he's not lasting that long out there either. Like, I know it's just spring training, but I right. mean, nope, the guy does, can't but, get yeah. through two innings. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, that's on, I mean, two innings, dude. You like to see at least, you know, four, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. He, yeah, he's just getting hit around. And, you know, I don't want to take it too seriously, but by the same token, it's it's replicating what happened towards the end of a season last year. And that, I will say, it, it worries me enough. Not that I'm completely down on him. Not that I regret getting him in the leagues that I did. But I, I made other pitchers a priority uh, in my last couple of drafts and auctions. So, uh, for example, uh, okay, so Tout Wars, like I said, I let him go to Ray Flowers for $9. Now, granted, this might not work out that great either, but I got Drew Smiley for 5 <laughs> So, Drew okay. Smiley with the yeah. soggy arm. Uh, but, uh, you know, at that point a week ago, that to me actually looked like a safer option. Maybe not now, but um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll see. And, and, you know, and he came cheaper than Nola, too. So anyway, on that note, we need to head into our final break. But when we come back, uh, we will talk about some players that were not only uh, interested in drafting, but drafting even if they don't play early on. So uh, stick around. We'll tell you who those players are. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And joining me today is Jessica Feinschmidt from FanRag. And uh, you are here. You are here for the last segment of the last show of the last day that we're doing a show before there's real baseball. How's that for a distinction? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so ready. I'm just ready for it. I think like, I think I think you and I can relate though. Like we've been kind of, we've been doing this for the last, you know, few months. So I think we're kind of like, I'm almost in like semi mid season form, but it's kind of cool because like mentally you shouldn't be in mid season form. Cause like actual baseball is going to happen soon. So it's just an interesting dynamic this time around time of year. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so ready. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be even crankier uh, or I'll be crankier than you about it because um yeah, I looked at that schedule today and saw all those teams playing their minor league affiliates, and it's just like, oh, let's just get on with it. <laughs> let's, right. I get let's it. have that first pitch. Let's go already. I've got some teams. I want to see how these these folks are going to do. So I'm, I am more more than ready. Uh, all right. Well, let's get ourselves, get our brains into uh, roster management mode here. And again, people are still drafting. I've got a draft tonight. It is a big draft weekend coming up, so I don't mean to... Uh, uh, give short shrift to that. But uh, so if you have a draft, uh, you can give some thought to who you might still take if, um, you know, if it's a player that doesn't look like they're going to make the opening to roster, or maybe you already have some players that maybe you had some higher hopes for, they got sent down, or maybe a player who's injured, part-time role, whatever it is. Uh, whether you, you've drafted your team or you still have to draft your team, uh, we all have players that we will plan or, or need to plan to stash. So that is the focus here of, uh, of this segment. And Jess, I had asked you to give me a list of some players that you were uh, looking to or already have uh, drafted for stashing purposes. And you, you gave me a bonus because when I say drafted stash, I do typically think of prospects. And you gave me a nice mm-hmm. list of, of prospects and younger players. But you gave me mm-hmm. some, some really interesting names. And I want to start with one. Yeah. And I, I'm going to admit to you, Jess, when I first saw this here, I thought, are you crazy? Jason Kitt is his drafted stash. Like, <laughs> why would we think? Of, now, obviously, he's the stash because of, of being injured. But the more I thought about the, you know, and I went and looked up his ADP, I'm like, you know, 
this is a kind of a juicy, meaty thing to think about, especially if you still have to draft, because Kipnis is 14th among second basemen to ADP. So particularly if you're in a uh, in a head-to-head league, so that you don't have a middle infield spot, or maybe it's a, a smaller roster. I mean, Kipnis is not a must-draft guy. You're right. Mm-hmm. He's not a must-draft mm-hmm. guy. And even in a Roto League, I mean, with the injury, you know, he's being drafted in a place where you would look at him as a, a middle infield candidate. But, uh, you know, second base has gotten very good and very deep. So uh, I apologize for, for my thoughts that I could have just kept to myself. But <laughs> so what? What? So what are your? So what are your thoughts about Jason Kipnis? Is it worth worth the drafted stash? It's a stash and a DL. Yeah. But. Right. Right. And you, the injury reason was obviously my main thing. But the the thing about the second baseman is, if you have Jason Kipnis just by himself, you're like, oh, he's a solid fantasy guy. But then you look at all the other second basemen that are kind of around it. And last year, it was just a power source at that position. It was so beautiful to watch. You know, these guys you're not anticipating hitting all these balls over the fence, the next thing you know, they're dropping 20, 30 bombs, and it was just great to watch. So that's what I kind of looked at it in that way, especially, like I mentioned, when you're sitting there doing your draft and Jason Kipnis is kind of just hanging out there. With with or without the injury, I think that would have been a scenario. So obviously it depends on when you did your draft. And he was, um, you know, a few months ago when I first did it, before this whole injury even occurred, it was definitely Mm -hmm. something to watch. Um, So that's kind of where my mentality went. And I think that has a lot to do with – the way that he has been, you know, doing it, his, his, he's been striking out a little bit more than um, what we were anticipating in 2015. So those certainly went up. But then, you know, obviously he hit 23 bombs at the second base position. But that sounds like a lot. But like I mentioned, when you're comparing it to other second basemen who are just as dominant, if not more dominant, that definitely kind of breaks him down a little bit of a tier. So I actually snagged him a couple times in a um, little bit lower um, rounds than I was actually anticipating, which was great, you know, from a from a certain perspective. Obviously, when he got injured, it was kind of like, oh, crap. But then at the same time, it was definitely an interesting factor. And it depends on who you're in the league with. They paid attention to that uh, batting average last season that, th- that did drop. But obviously, his power was, uh, was increasing, which was, like I said, something great to see with the mm-hmm. second baseman. So that's why he was considered a draft and stash for me yeah and i think it makes sense and i mean you know probably he's out no more than a month maybe less than that you know maybe even just mm-hmm. a couple of weeks so uh yeah i don't know. I, I that was i said interesting pick i'd be definitely worth definitely worth the dl spot and like i said my initial thought was this isn't even controversial but when i look at where he's drafted right. I, you know maybe people are having doubts about that and i uh you know i the power surge is important. It helps him keep pace, and, and he really is an all-around contributor. He's going to score a lot of runs, uh, and uh, you know, assuming that his shoulder doesn't hold him back, and it's not you know a, a Michael Brantley type situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I absolutely agree with you. So let's uh, take a look at a few of the other names on your list, and again, a few more major league names. Well, we talked about Sonny Gray earlier in the show, so he's another mm-hmm. injury stash. I agree with that one too. Um, you know, if he can if he can get right and healthy, think about where he was at two seasons ago. That's somebody who could, you know, right. maybe not single handedly win your league, but go a long way towards helping you with the value you get mm-hmm. there. And then you, you completed the set by also putting John Gray on your list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get Sonny and John. Now that one it right. was interesting to me too. I think I get it. So when you say stash, is this wait and see? Is this because you don't like the two starts he's getting in week one? Uh, why why stash and why not just start John Gray right right away? I no matter who is on the bump 
at Coors, I cringe. I don't care if it's, if it's, you know, the most amazing pitcher in the whole wide world. I always kind of get wearied about that. And I think I noticed that as I was going through a lot. I, I don't think I picked him up in any of my leagues, but I've noticed a lot of people are like, oh, comma, but Coors. So you look at the Rockies and you're automatically thinking like, okay, great. I want all the bats. And from a stacking perspective in DFS, you're going to want to go, you know, the opposite way of whoever's pitching at court. So you're, mm-hmm. people are going to be kind of negatively looking at John Gray, but at the same time, this guy's pitching half of his home games at a field that he's used to doing. And of course he was also a rookie last year. So I think that was another quote negative element against him, but I kind of like that aspect. I kind of like getting the guys that nobody's expecting uh, much out of, but you know, for the most part, that ERA that, that he, he put up wasn't really a, a significant, I guess, characterization of what he can bring. It was over a four ERA, both on the road and at home. So I, I kind of give, you know, course pitchers the benefit of the doubt, but so that was definitely something that I, that's where my mentality went. Um, and I think when it comes to him particularly, yeah, you can mention the start opening day, first week, I always just get nervous no matter who, you know, the scenario is, it's just a, it's a brand new season. There's a lot going on. You're not expecting a guy to hit necessarily hit for the cycle. Like when Chris Bryant got promoted, people were mad that he didn't hit for the cycle in his first at bat or whatever it was. So it was just interesting to kind of watch, but that's kind of where my mentality went. And I noticed if you can pick up on what people are freaking out about, as far as um, being anti something, sometimes that could actually benefit you. I wrote that uh, up in my recent Roto write up for fan graphs. And I was saying like, I think you can actually benefit from a guy that people are scared to go um, to draft to their team. Okay. Uh, well, we're, uh, we have just about a minute left, so uh, we're going to have to skip over some of these folks, but I'm intrigued by two of the, um, Two of the uh, minor leagues. I will just mention uh, Manny Margot, Hunter Dozier, Cody Bellinger. Yeah, I agree with all of them. They're all big targets for me. Mm-hmm. And Margot, right. um, you know, is somebody that you could actually start right away. I would agree. Probably you can you can wait. But Matt Chapman and Pete O'Brien. Um, oh, O'Brien. Yeah. Now, again, bear in mind, we don't have much time left. So quickly, um, why, why, why these two? Why are they worth the wait? Mainly, I'm just going to go crazy with Peter O'Brien just because, like, he's a guy that I've been following for the last few years. He's got so much power, and he's so used to kind of the AAA back to major league, back and forth kind of scenario. And if you need an extra power bat in your lineup, he's perfect. He, I get worried when he does get promoted because he just struggles. But, but also um, with the Diamondbacks, the the, the coaching staff was saying they just need he needs to get more reps in, in the bigs. So if you have him on your team, and obviously I don't know what the Royals are going to necessarily do because they do have quite a bit of bats this, this season. Once he does get promoted and he gets more exposure to major league pitching, I think he can be really great. Yeah, well, uh, I think there's a question of opportunity for him, uh, but you know, it, and especially with Hunter Dozier. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it'd be hard to get both of those guys in, but, uh, you know, interesting, uh, intriguing uh, names to be sure, Jess. So, well, thanks very much for, uh, for joining us today, Jess. Looking forward to seeing you on the other side opening day. Thank you all for joining us today. Uh, and I will see you again on opening day Sunday with Greg Jewett. Stick with you. Come back. See us then. Have a great weekend. 